0: I really feel strongly that part of the calling that God's called me to is not just preaching repentance, but preparing the people of God to stand before God. Amen? Amen. We've got to be ready and we've got to be prepared when we stand before Him. It's not God's will for you and I to stand before God unprepared. It's not God's will for you and I to stand before God half beaten up. It's not God's will for for you and I to stand before Him where we barely made it on the earth and we just barely made it into heaven. It's not God's will. A while ago, a few minutes ago, I believe some scriptures were quoted. And, and let me just, I'm just going to throw these out at you. It's not part of my message, but in Philippians 4 8, the scripture that was quoted this morning. The Bible says, Finally, brethren, what, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if any worthy anything worthy of praise to dwell on these things. I'm going to tell you something. That if you plan on being successful in your walk with the Lord, you've got to get things in your head right. And the scripture says here that if there be any praise to think on these things the victory begins in your head it's and you wonder why we speak out the things that we speak out and the reason why we speak out the things that we speak out that are contrary to the word of god is because we got things messed up in our heads we got things contrary. We speak out things that are contrary to the Word, and then we wonder why we speak those things out. You're never going to be able to speak out what what God, whatever's in alignment with the Word if you don't get your thoughts in order and in alignment with the Word first. Right. Does that make sense, church? Yes. You've got to get your thoughts in alignment. You've got to get what you believe in alignment with what God has already spoken. The imposition. You've got to get in alignment. When your car is out of alignment, it veers to the right or it veers to the left, it isn't gonna gonna drive right. It's gonna affect your tires, it's gonna affect other things, and it's never gonna drive right. You can't take your hand off the wheel for anything because you can easily veer into the car next to you if it's not in alignment. And if God's people are not in alignment, dangerous things can occur. Are you hearing me? When we don't get into alignment with the Word of God, dangerous things occur in our marriages Dangerous things occur in our finances. Dangerous thinking. Dangerous things occur in our in our bodies. Dangerous things occur in the church. Dangerous things begin to occur because we're not in alignment. You've got to get in alignment with the Word of God. When I was in the military, when I served in, 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 in the first Gulf War, whenever you were in a convoy and it was in the middle of the night... You have your lights off. You don't have your lights on in the middle of the night. Why? Because the enemy can see you. So you have all your lights off. So how, world are you supposed to follow the person in front of you when it's pitch dark in the middle of the desert? Well, in the truck in front of you, there's a small little light that they put on. Yeah. And you've got to drive and follow that light. You've got to keep your eyes on that light. Why? Because it's safe. You know if that truck didn't blow up in front of you, then you're not going to blow up either as you pass what they just passed. But if you go to the left and you go to the right, if you don't stay in alignment with the truck or tank or whatever is in front of you, guess what can happen? Dangerous things can happen. Are you hearing me? Does that make sense this morning? You've got to get in alignment. The Bible says in the, in the book of Isaiah chapter 26, another verse that was what was thrown out this morning. Again, not part of my message, but I, I just feel in my heart that I need to speak this out. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mouth is stayed on you? Or what does it say? I. Mind. You will keep him in perfect peace whose words are stayed on you? No. No. And while it's important to speak out the Word, again, you're never going to be able to speak out in alignment if you don't get your thoughts in alignment. And he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That means I've got to get my mind fixated on what God has already spoken. I've got to get my mind, if I'm going to be successful in my walk with the Lord, if I'm going to make it to heaven, if I'm going to receive a crown, if I'm going to be able to stand there and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, then I've got to get the thoughts in my head right and that means I've got to get fixated on God and on who he is if all you're worried about is how you're not going to be able to pay your bills if all you're worried about is where am I going to find a job if all you're worried about is am I ever going to get healed am I am I always going to be sick if you're all you're ever focused on is on the those things that are playing listen let me say this okay thank you Lord you're the jury You're the jury. Anybody ever served on a jury in here? You're the jury. The enemy is telling you one thing. Your flesh, your circumstances may be telling you one thing. But the word is telling you another. And as the jury, you've got the responsibility to deliberate who you're going to believe and which side you're going to stand with. Does that make sense? You are the jury, and the enemy may tell you you're never going to make it. The enemy may be telling you you're never going to be healed. Your circumstances may be telling you you're never going to get a job. Your circumstances may be telling you your kids are never going to get saved. Your circumstances may be telling you your marriage is going to go to hell. Are you hearing me? But what does the Word say? And you as the jury... You have to make a choice on, after you deliberate this thing, on which side you're going to believe. This right here is always going to be consistent. The word is never going to change. It's always going to stay the same. So you've got to make up in your mind. Whenever you see that you have a stack of bills and you know what your income is, let me tell you something. Your employer may determine your salary, but God determines your income. He determines your income. So when you stand and you hear out what your circumstances are telling you, but you know what the Word says, who are you going to believe? It says you will keep him in perfect peace. How in the world are you supposed to stay in perfect peace when all hell's breaking loose at home? How are you supposed to stay in perfect peace when your children won't obey God and don't even come to church? How are you supposed to stay in peace whenever you see that your finances are so low and you don't you don't know if you're going to be able to make rent this month? How are you supposed to stay in perfect peace? Because the Word doesn't change and God is faithful. And you know, if you can get your mind off of your present circumstances and get your mind fixated on what the Word says, you will then find peace. It all begins in the mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, this it all begins where? Mind. In the mind. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Of your mind. You've got to get your mind in order. Get your mind. What is God saying about the situation that you're facing? By the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When Jesus died on the cross, they put him on a hill called Golgotha. You remember that? What does Golgotha mean? Skull. Skull. Where's the mind? The skull. And I believe that is so symbolic of Jesus obtaining our victory in the place of the skull. All right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So when you, listen, that's where the victory is. Whenever you know you're fixated, you know what the enemy is telling you, but he can't move you because you know what the word is saying, then you have victory. You have complete victory. It's the place of the skull. Hallelujah. That's all I'm going to rant on about that, all right? We're going to get into the Word, all right? Because we haven't been in the Word. No, we have. I've been quoting Scripture. All right, Mark chapter 6, verse 35 through 45. I'm going to talk about remembering the miracles in the storm. Where's Brother Dwight? Hey, all right, you can write that down, Brother Remembering the miracles in the storm. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. When you're in Mark chapter 6, say amen. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark. Mark's the second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter 6, verse 35. We're going to go all the way to verse 45. Here we go. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to Jesus and said, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. Jesus had been ministering and there were thousands of people Sitting uh, uh, surrounding him and it was already getting late the Bible says the disciples say this place is desolate it's already quite late send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat but Jesus he answered them you give them something to eat and they said to him shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat Verse 38, And he, Jesus, said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, We have five loaves and two fishes. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples. Let me stop there, verse 44. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. The feeding of the 5,000 is what I want to talk a little bit about. The feeding of the 5,000 is directly related to how you handle your storms in your life. It is directly related to how you handle the, the adverse circumstances in your life. The feeding of the 5,000, whenever you encounter financial difficulty, whenever the doctor tells you bad news that you don't want to hear, whenever your marriage seems to be crumbling, when your children are falling apart and running off and they're rebellious or they're backslidden and they're not coming to church and or when, whatever may be happening. This story, this incident here that happened, true story, that happened is directly related to how you handle the storms in your life. Jesus allows storms in our life for many reasons. All right? Jesus allows, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but Jesus allows storms to occur for a multitude of reasons in our life. Now, not because he's bad, but he intends to reveal something to you in the midst of a trial. How many of you want to learn more and know more about Jesus intimately? How many of you want to learn something different that you've never seen before about God? Anybody, ever, Has that ever happened to anybody where you begin to see something different about God that you've never seen before? He, he just gives you some insight into his nature. He gives you some insight into who he is. Well, your storms, believe it or not, are created and God allows you to go through storms so that you can learn to discover a different aspect, a different part of God that you may have never discovered before. Or that maybe you've never apprehended or never comprehended before so listen when God allows storms in in your life he allows those storms not because he's bad but because he's good and he's developing you so that you don't stay in the same rut that you're in for the next 20 years I know a lot of believers and I've been guilty of this myself for being stuck in a rut for many years I've known believers that I've talked to years ago and I've talked to them years later and they're in the same place spiritually than they were years ago. But it's not God's will for you and or for me to stay in the same place year after year if you're not developing, if you're not growing. If you're not maturing, then something is wrong with you. Listen, it, it may be okay for you to throw a tantrum when you've been saved maybe a year, two years, three years, maybe even five years. But when you've been walking with the Lord for 27 years, 30 years, 15 years, and you're still throwing tantrums? hello. That's like a five-year-old. It's, we expect a five-year-old to throw a tantrum, amen? amen? You expect the four-year-old to throw a tantrum. But man, when that same four-year-old is now 14 years old and he's falling on the floor throwing a tantrum, that's not normal. And I guarantee you, most fathers aren't going to put up with that. Got some good nods there. They're not going to put up with that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Not that we're, we're being ugly or being harsh, But there comes a time where you got to snap out of that thing. you got to grow up out of that thing. It's high time as the people of God, especially spirit-filled people of God, that we develop ourselves. That we allow God to develop us and mature us so that we walk in maturity. Why does God want you and I to walk in maturity? So that we make an impact in the kingdom of God. So that this gospel goes out and we advance this kingdom. Listen, you can't do it with a bunch of immature believers. You can't grow a church with a bunch of immature believers. God desires maturity in all of us. Amen. Amen. So here he is. God is allowing, Jesus is allowing something to happen here. But listen, this miracle here is a powerful miracle. Now, I'm going to tell you something this morning. If you find yourself going through a storm or through a trial this morning... You need to be encouraged. And even if maybe you may be going through a trial tomorrow, next week, you don't even know it, but you need to be encouraged. Why? Because you are ripe for God showing you and revealing something to you that he most likely is not showing somebody else. Each situation is unique. And because it's unique, each person, if they're sensitive enough to this, will allow themselves to discover a side of God, a side to God, that they may have never, ever seen before. And with that, they can find strength for themselves and even others whenever they've learned their lesson. And they can help somebody else whenever they're in a situation. You've got to constantly tell your future about God's faithfulness in your past. So we read about this, what Jesus did. He fed the 5,000. Let me me start off number one. Miracles begin with what you have. Miracles begin with what you have. Too many focus on what they don't have when the miracle begins with what you do have. All of these people, there were more than 5,000 people, and I'm going to touch on that in a little while, but there were thousands of people out there and here come the disciples and they're going to Jesus and they've been out here quite a long time already. It's getting dark. There's not a 7-Eleven nearby. Send them off so they can get something to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. You feed over 5,000 people. And one of the disciples say, well, how do we do that? Jesus said, what do you have? Go look. What do you have? And they said, we have five loaves and two fish. You've got to look at what you have. Quit focusing on what you don't have. And when you focus on what you do have and allow God to bless what you do have, he'll multiply what you have and you'll be able to be a blessing to other people. But quit focusing on what you don't have. Quit focusing on what you don't have. Listen, if you don't have enough financially, quit focusing on what you don't have and allow God to to bless and multiply what you do have through your obedience. Look at what he said in verse 37. But he answered them. He said, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go look. What are the main things... That you're involved in right now. What possessions do you have that you would be willing to let the Lord use? You know, I had a closet a few weeks ago that was full of jackets, and I saw some other jackets at the store that I wanted. And I just, I, I told myself at the store, I'm not going to get any jacket. I will get this jacket. I'll come back and I'll buy this jacket when I go back home and get all my other jackets and give them away. Because there's no sense in accumulating jacket after jacket after jacket, even jackets I don't even wear. And so, listen, when you give, you're not just giving of your dollars, you may have some things in your home that you don't even use anymore, give it away, and I guarantee you whenever you do that, God is going to bless you, and he's going to multiply even what you do have. Well, I, well, how am I supposed to give in the tithes and offerings? I don't even have, well, what do you have? Maybe you can give to somebody who's homeless. Maybe you can give to somebody just just out of kindness. Give what you do have. I don't need these pots and pans anymore. I have these other ones. I'm going to give these away. And I guarantee you, if you focus on what you do have instead of what you don't have, God will bless you. He will bless you. Number two, God uses people that other people say don't even count. Look at verse 44. It says, there were how many men who ate the loaves? 5,000 men who ate the loaves. You notice it doesn't say the women? Amen. And it doesn't say the children? Amen. So it only counted the men. It says a lot about this culture back in the day. Okay, And even today in the Middle East, women are considered lower class. All right, Even the children are considered lower class. That's why when you see among, uh, even among uh, the Muslims, You see a man man and a woman walking together. The woman's usually covered up. The man is dressed like he's from America. The woman's dressed like she's still in the Middle East. And she's walking about four or five feet behind him. Because she's not allowed to walk right next to him. She's not equal to him. Not saying anything racist. I'm just telling you that's the truth. Because I was in Saudi Arabia and those are the things they told you. And that's their culture. That's still their culture even today. So... Here it is. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. I'm going to tell you something. God uses people that other people say they don't count. The women and children were not counted. Only the men were counted. But I'm going to tell you, this this same story in another gospel, where did they get this bread and fish? I believe a little child was used of God. In one of the other Gospels, one of the disciples said, there is a child here who brought a sack lunch. And he has some pieces of bread and he's got some fish. And Jesus said, bring me that. So even the people that were not counted... Listen, you may say, people may say that you're not worth anything. People may say that God can't use you, but God says otherwise. People may say that you, and you may even believe it in your head. I'm not significant. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. Can I tell you that you can be good enough, and you are good enough, because the Word of God, Jesus died for you. He shed His blood for you. His beard was plucked out of His face for you. He was slapped for you. He was spat upon for you. He was whipped you, He hung naked on a cross for you. So don't ever believe what the enemy may put in your head that you're never going to be good enough because you are good enough. God saw you worthy of salvation. He saw you worthy of deliverance. He saw you worthy of healing. He saw you worthy of favor. He sees you worthy of promotion. So whatever people or whatever the enemy may say about you that is contrary to the word, you stand on what God has said about you. Come on, there should be a few more amens than that. You may not have what you need to get where you want to go, but if you give God what you do have, He's going to multiply it. Do you ever feel in some areas in your life that you just don't count? Let me ask you something. Does God see it that way? No, He doesn't. Number three, the greatest miracles that occur take time. Look at verse 39 and verse 40. I'm going to go kind of fast, and that's fine. Verse 39 and verse 40. What did Jesus do? He said, he commanded them to make them all sit down by companies upon the green grass. Look at verse 40. And they sat down in ranks by the hundreds and by fifties. Now, how many men were there already that we read? 5,000 men. So that meant there was probably maybe, I'm sure it's safe to say there might have been 5,000 women. Yeah. So, and I don't know how many children, but we're talking over 10,000 people there <laughs> listening to the Lord. Over 10,000 people. How long do you think that it takes to grab a group of over 10,000 people and let's set them all in groups of 50s? Some of the greatest miracles, and you may think, God, I've been believing you for quite some time to move in my family. I've been believing for my children. I've been believing for my health. I've been believing for certain areas. But how many know that certain miracles and some of the greatest miracles take time sometimes? This miracle that was about to occur took time to occur because it took time for this group of over 10,000 people to be put in groups of 50 and groups of 100. That takes a little bit of time to organize and that takes a little bit of structure and a little bit of time for some people to do. So, But the miracle did not take place until everything was organized. And let me tell you something. Maybe what we need to do if we're going to see some, some uh, God do some miracles in our lives is maybe we need to take a good, a good assessment, a good inventory of all the areas in our life that may not be organized. Maybe there's some things. Are you hearing me this morning? Maybe there's some areas that are in disarray. Maybe there are some areas that are all fouled up and mixed up. And you want God to bless you, but listen, maybe He's waiting on you to organize the things that you do have control of before He moves in those areas. You want God to move on you, God. I I I just can't. I I need a miracle, but yet you're not willing to give up your temper tantrum. You're not willing to give up your foul mouth. You're not willing to give up certain things. You're not willing to forgive. How many you know that God can't move on somebody that just refuses to forgive? But this miracle took time. And maybe the reason why the miracle has taken time is because there is some organizing and some structure and some discipline that God is waiting to take place in your life in order for him to move and flow freely. Does that make sense this morning? Jesus separated the people into groups. Sometimes it takes order and structure. Maybe a church, you need to take some good inventory in your life. Take an honest inventory of all the crooked places in your life that need to be made straight. There are areas in all of our lives, even Brother Aaron's, there's areas in all of our lives that are in need of structure and in need of discipline. Come on. I don't care if you've been saved. I've been saved walking with the Lord for 27 years. And some of you may be looking, that's a long time. I've been walking with the Lord for 27 years. But how many of you know that these 27 years I've been kicking and screaming? All right? A lot of times I'm kicking and screaming because I don't want to do what God tells me to do because I'm in this flesh and I'm still wanting to do what Aaron wants to do. I still want to go where Aaron wants to go. I still want to think the way Aaron wants to think. And listen, church, you're no different. All of us, if we're not honest, we've got to be honest this morning. All of us will get into heaven kicking and screaming. But we've got to take a good look at our lives. What areas are crooked? Even John the Baptist said, make the crooked ways straight because the Lord is coming. Make all the crooked ways straight. And maybe what God is waiting for you and I to do is to make those crooked areas, the the way we think about things, the sneaky things that we think of, the thoughts in our head, Maybe we need to make those areas straight. The way we judge other people, the way we lust at other people, the way we think about other people. The areas where the person next to you doesn't ever know anything about. All they see is a nice Sunday morning smile. Listen, if things are out of whack in your finances and you're not doing anything to correct it, you're limiting God in that area. If you're not a giver or a tither, then you're limiting God in that area. Your circumstances are limiting God. Not, not, Listen, your circumstances are not limiting God. You are. God's not limited by circumstances, but He can be limited by people. If you don't believe that? I remember in one of the Gospels where Jesus was healing people, and the Bible says that Jesus couldn't do certain miracles because of their unbelief. Yeah. So it wasn't the circumstances that affected Jesus. The circumstances were right for a miracle, but it was the people that were hindering him. So, if, listen. If God is not moving in your life, it's not your circumstances. Your your lack of finances or your 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 Illness, whatever God has, or whatever the doctor may have spoken over you, or whatever the situation is with your children, those circumstances that are going on, God's not limited by those circumstances. But if you are responsible for making those crooked ways straight and you're not, you're the one limiting God. Am I making sense? If things are out of whack in your health and you're not doing your part to improve anything about it, well, you know, God, God, I need healing because the doctor said my cholesterol's high. Well, what'd you eat for breakfast this morning? I had some chorizo and egg. I had papas con huevo. I had, man, I had these flour tortillas that were about that thick, and they were felt like they just melted in your mouth. Anybody ever know what I'm talking about? Well, no wonder you're a stroke waiting to happen. And then you want to believe God for healing, but you're not doing anything to make any changes. Hey, Lord, I need to get—I—I—I I, I, I really need to get control of this—this this lust in my head. Well, what are you watching on the internet when nobody's watching? Come on! Come on. Right. It's time to get the sin out. Sin. What is sin? Anything Jesus wouldn't do is sin. Would he go where you're going? Would he say what you're saying? Would he smoke what you're smoking? Would he drink what you're drinking? Would he think what you're thinking? Would he watch what you're watching? Sin is anything Jesus wouldn't do, and then we wonder why why don't why doesn't God move? Well, get the sin out. All right, it got quiet. <laughs> you, Hallelujah. <laughs> Number four, you have to be thankful for what you have, for what is not enough, before He can give you more than enough. Look at verse 41. What did Jesus do? He took the, the five loaves and the two fishes and he looked up to heaven and blessed and he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. God blesses what you have and what is to come before the multi- before he multiplies into more than enough. But listen, Jesus had the five loaves and two fish. He didn't bless the 5,000 or whatever pieces of bread he had, he he thanked God for what he did have. He didn't pretend to have, Lord, I thank you that I got $10,000. He didn't say that. I thank you that I got 10,000 loaves of bread. He didn't say that. He thanked God for what he did have. He said, God, this is what I have. Father, this is what I have. And I'm asking you to bless it. How many of you know when God, you ask God's blessing on something? Yeah. It's going to be powerful and God, you're going to be able to be so useful to the kingdom of God. But here are these five loaves and these two fish and here Jesus is lifting his head up to heaven and he's saying, I thank you for these five loaves, for what I do have. I'm not going to focus on what I don't have. I'm going to focus on what I do have and for what I have, I'm thankful for. And it wasn't until that gratitude was released that God multiplied the loaves and the fish. These are simple lessons. Simple lessons, but we need to be reminded of them. Multiplication will not follow in gratitude. Did you hear me? Multiplication will not follow in gratitude. When's the last time you spent time in prayer just for thanking the Lord for what you or your family does have? Number five. The blessing is in the breaking. Look at verse 41 again. It says that when he had taken the 5 loaves and the 2 fishes, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and what did he do? He broke the loaves. This is so powerful right here. God Jesus fed the multitude with the broken pieces of loaves, the broken pieces. Church, you know how many people are hurting outside these walls? Do you know how many couples are hurting do you know how many people are hurting? How many drug addicts? How many alcoholics? How many people that are hurting over their children? How many sick people who are hurting? But God uses the broken pieces to bless others. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to be a blessing to others, you're going to be a blessing by those areas that God has broken in you. What areas? has God broken you down in? What areas have you been broken in? Have you been broken over your sin? Have you been broken into humility over your arrogance? Have you been broken when it comes to your temper? Have you been broken when it comes to your pride? Have you been broken uh, from being maybe a bad husband or a bad wife? Have you been broken? Has God broken you in that area? The only way you're going to be able to minister to somebody else is is if you've experienced that brokenness. And it's not until you experience that brokenness, if you don't know anything about weeping over your sin, you're never going to be able to minister to somebody else when it comes to sin in their life. You're never going to be able to minister to another man, another husband, about what it means to be a good husband if you have never been broken in that area in your life. Come on. Does that make sense? It was the broken pieces that Jesus fed the multitudes with. He broke it refusing to be broken delays the blessing. The miracle begins at the breaking point. Have you thanked God? Have you thanked the Lord for the last time he's broken you? He wasn't killing you. He was blessing you. When you went through that thing, maybe you went through a hard anybody ever go through a hard situation? A really hard situation? Maybe you lost a family member. Maybe a marriage fell apart. Maybe your, your kids went astray, but now they're serving the Lord. Maybe you went through a hard time. Maybe you lost a job, whatever it may have been, and you went through a season where it was really difficult for you. And you wondered, how did I get through that? You got through that through the faithfulness of God. You got through that because of His faithfulness, because of His goodness, because He, ch- he said that He would never leave you or forsake you. That's why you went through it. That's why you got through it. Yes. Thank you. Are you willing to release those to the Lord right now? Those areas where you you just, Lord, I, I, I need to release these areas in order to be broken. We got to be a broken people. God calls us to be Broken. Broken. Number six, he feeds the multitudes with those broken pieces. Will you choose to hide and forget the broken seasons that you've experienced in your life where you're going to allow God to use them? Number seven, blessings flow through your hands, not from your hands. The Bible says, I think in verse 41, it might have been verse 41 and 42, I don't remember. But Jesus took the bread. He thanked the Father for the bread. He broke the bread. And what did He do? Did He hand out the bread by Himself? What did He do? He gave them to his disciples. His disciples handed out that bread. Church, you've got to understand something, that blessings come from God, not from you. If you're going to, listen, if you were, sometimes we can get so prideful in some things. Maybe we got a good, live in a nice house, drive a nice car, have a comfortable bank account have some nice clothes and we look at that thing. We got a good, comfortable job. We look at that thing and say, man, I made it. No, listen, those blessings didn't come from you. They came from God. Blessings flow. They come from God, but they move through you, but they ultimately come from God. God gets the glory, not you. Never think that you're what people need. We're vessels. Number eight. I love this. When God does a miracle, He doesn't just give enough. He gives overflow. Look at verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. Look at verse 44. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Maybe it doesn't say it. I'm going to read it in in my version here. I think mine's in New American Standard. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces After everybody had already eaten. Everybody had eaten. Not one person said, I didn't eat. I didn't get anything. After everybody had eaten, it says they picked up all the broken pieces and there were 12 baskets full. Why? Because Jesus is revealing that this is the heart of God. God gives overflow. Alright? He gives more than enough. He could have just stopped. Listen, God is very precise. And he knew exactly how many know he knows exactly how many hairs you have on your head. Yeah. He knows how many tears you've cried. The Bible says that he has all of your tears stored up in a bottle. And he knows every hair. He has every hair on your head counted. Alright? He knows every hair. So if he is that precise, he could have provided the exact amount of bread. And fish for the people but instead after everybody had eaten there were still 12 baskets full of loaves and of fish last week I believe pastor talked about the woman with the vessel no it was two weeks ago about the the Elijah and and the woman he said go and fill up these vessels and she kept getting more vessels after more vessels after more vessels because he was showing her that God is not just a God of enough He's the God of more than enough. All right? He is the God of overflow. You need to understand that this morning. He is the God of overflow. Jesus knew exactly how many people were present there. He could have been precise and he could have stopped at the moment that the last person had had the last piece of bread and had the last fish. But God always provides more than enough. He chose to give them overflow. He reveals who he is and what his nature is, even in this miracle. Don't ever let anyone tell you, well, God just wants to give you enough, brother. That may sound religious, but that's not scriptural. God just wants to give you enough. The other day I heard somebody say, I was at the hospital and I heard somebody say, You got to believe. I was telling this person, You got to believe. You got to believe. Well, I'm just, you know, whatever God wants. That just, it hit me. What do you mean whatever God wants? And I started thinking about it. When was the last time Jesus went up to a leper, in the scriptures, went up to a leper, or the blind man, or the woman with the issue of blood, or anybody that was sick, and asked, what do you want me to do for you? Well, whatever you want. They never said Well, whatever you want. They said, this is exactly what I've been wanting. This is exactly what I'm needing. And Jesus said, well, okay. No, he didn't do that. The Bible says that you've got to believe and decree a thing. It isn't just whatever God wants. You walk in the Word and you speak out in authority what the Word says. But you've got to understand that God is not just the God of enough. He's the God of more than enough. I'm going to show you something real quick. Can you give me two of those those cups right there? And it may sound nice. Thank you. It may sound nice, you know, uh, when somebody says, Brother, God just wants to give you enough. That sounds nice and religious, but that's not scriptural. All right? God wants to give you the overflow. How I many you know that God's name is El Shaddai? The name El Shaddai means more than enough. He is El Shaddai, not El Chipo. All right? He is El Shaddai. He is the God of more than enough. And you need to get that this morning. You need to get that in your spirit man here this morning. He is the God of more than enough. That means with me and with you personally, he is the God of more than enough. That means when I need healing, he's going to give me more than enough. When I need finances and I need these bills to get paid, he's going to give me more than enough. Whenever I'm believing him for a job, he's going to give me more than enough. Whenever I'm believing for favor and for promotion, He's going to give you more than enough. That's why Jesus said that when you give, God gives back in good. He doesn't say God gives back exactly what you gave. He said He gives you back what you gave, and He gives it back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, because He is the God of more than enough. Amen. Now I love this because David said, "I, my cup runneth over." I lift up my cup and my cup runneth over. You know why it runs over? Because God, God doesn't look at that cup and say, Whoa, I can't go over that brim right there. I can only go that high. Listen, your little cup, whatever you're believing God for, your little cup doesn't limit God because He's going to keep flowing and flowing and flowing. Even if it overflows, it's still He's still going to keep it going. He doesn't just look at your limitation. And some of you, you may have a bigger cup. You think, well, that's the case. I'm believing God for more. And that's okay. You can believe God for a bigger cup. And God doesn't look at that cup and say, well, that's a little too big for me. God will continue to overflow because that's who he is. He said, I raise up my cup. David said that in Psalm 23. And my cup, he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. He gives you more than enough in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Running over to you. Running over to your children. Running over to your children's children. Running over to your whole home. Running over to your family. Running over to your co-workers. Running over to your friends. Running over to strangers that are around you. Because that's who He is. He is the God of more than enough. He is El Shaddai. That's who He is. You need to understand that this morning. Get that in your spirit, man, this morning. When you walk out those doors, know whatever miracle you're in need of, He's going to provide, but He's going to surpass whatever you're believing God for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants to give you overflow. More than enough. If you need provision, His name is more than enough. If you need healing, His name is more than enough. If you need food in your pantry, His name is more than enough. If you need a salary increase, His name is more than enough. He will provide more than enough. More than enough to pay your bills. More than enough so that you can walk in healing. More than enough whenever you need favor. More than enough whenever you go to work. Church, hear me what I'm saying this morning. He is the God of more than enough. A God whose name is more than enough is never going to stop at enough. All right? That's who He is. I know that's who He is. So I, let me wear some protective gloves, some because it's going to overflow. Let me get ready. Let me get the rags going because I know whenever I'm believing God, it's going to spill over. He's not just going to stop right here. Just brother, just more than enough. He just gives you more than enough. Well, that may be good for you. My cup runneth over. His blessing is more than your capacity to contain it. That's why he says, test me now in this. If you give your tithe, see that if I, just test me, God says, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot even find room to store it. Amen. God does not limit himself to what your little cup can hold. God, I can only take this much. God's not limited. He doesn't hold back. He's more than enough. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Underline that in your Bible. Highlight that in your Bible. When you're believing God for a miracle, know that now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I know that He's going to surpass what I'm asking. God, I need healing in my elbow. And you may be needing healing somewhere else too. And God will touch all those areas. Shh. He'll make sure you experience overflow. Hallelujah. Number nine, keep blessing other people. Look at verse 41 again. God's desire is to bless others through your faithfulness. Notice what it says. He looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to sit before them all. The two fishes divided he among them all. I think it's maybe verse 42, 40. Oh, no, no, that's it right there. Verse 41, I'm sorry. My version says it a little different. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. It says He blessed the food and broke the loaves and He kept giving them to the disciples. He just kept giving them to the disciples. He kept on. He didn't stop. He continued to give to, to the disciples the loaves and the fishes. Listen, church, God desires for you is to bless others through your faithfulness. Who are you blessing right now? Number 10. Let me stop there real quick. And uh, we're going to go to verse 45. After this miracle, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples. He constrained his disciples, the King James says. He made his disciples. He forced them to get on the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was all alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. Verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said unto them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. I got to hurry. Hallelujah. Now I've got to find my place. Number ten, immediately He made them get into the boat. Immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat. He constrained them. He forced them and chose, this is what you need to do. He didn't just say, hey, y'all want to get in the boat? He was direct. He was blunt. He was matter of fact. Get in the boat. Church, when Jesus tells you to do something, guess what you need to do? Obey. Obey. Do it. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, if you're going to be a disciple, then you need to obey God. No one is going through a storm that God is not aware of. You go through storms by divine instruction. Let me tell you something. It wasn't the devil that said, hey, get in the boat, and then he caused a storm. But Jesus himself knew what was about to happen, and he tells his disciples, get in the boat. Go to the other side. Do you think that Jesus did not know that storm was about to occur? Jesus knew full well that that storm was going to happen. But nevertheless, he tells his disciples, get in the boat. Go to the other side. Why? Because he's trying to show them something. And what he's saying is, you saw what I could do through the miracles of the loaves and the fish. And while the other people were busy burping on their blessings, All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, now I'm going to show you something different. And listen, he had to constrain them to get on the boat. Why? Because sometimes it can be so tempting to get stuck in a rut on what God has been doing, but he's wanting to go somewhere else, and you can get stuck in that same place, focused on what God was once doing, that you miss out on another part of God somewhere else. Listen, when God moves, you need to move with him. And this is also a lesson for churches and for our church, that when God moves, we need to learn to move with Him, not stay in the same rut and the same routine and the same programs Sunday after Sunday where there is no power at all present. But if you want power, if you want to see miracles, if you want to see the presence of God move, then you've got to be willing to move when God moves. And you could have, listen, the disciples could have stayed there on the shore and focused, Men, did y'all see how many bread that was? Did y'all see how much fish that was? And they could have gotten so stuck on that miracle that they would have missed out on what he was about to show them in the middle of that storm. <laughs> there were a lot of people hanging out on that shore. Everyone had eaten. They were full. In fact, the Bible says that 5,000 of them, they were all... Can you imagine how many burping people there were there? <laughs> That was a lot of burping burping on blessings. They had just eaten fish and chips, and the disciples wanted to stay there too. But be careful that you don't stay caught up in all the commotion. It might be nice, and it might be tempting, but when God is moving, you need to move too. Jesus was about to show these 12 men what they would have never seen had they stayed on the shore. Are you hearing me? they would have missed out on it. Had they stayed on the shore picking fish and bread out of their teeth, they would have never experienced it. And some of you who are going through storms, you're about to see some things in that storm that others on land who are still busy burping on the blessings that God has given us, you're about to see a sight of God that others aren't aren't ever going to be able to see. When you go through the storm, you're going to be able to experience a side and a nature, a side to to the nature of God that other people can't see or can't experience or who refuse to experience it. Church, again, how many are going through storms? I'm going through some storms, but you know what? I know this, that God did not design the storm that I'm going through to destroy me, but to develop me. And I know that if that's what he's done for me, he did not design your storm to destroy you. He designed the storm to develop you. Amen? Amen. By revealing another dimension of who he is. Hallelujah. Look at verse 51. It says, then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished. Why? Because they saw something to him. If they thought the loaves and the fishes, the miracles of the loaves and the fishes were big, now all of a sudden they see this same man is able to command the waves and the storm. And it says that they were astonished. They were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they wondered for they did not consider the miracle of the loaves. They were so freaking out in the middle of the night in that storm. Why? Because they were not focused on the miracle that had just occurred. And when you go through storms and you're so focused on fear, the enemy wants you fixated on that fear, on that thing in front of you. When all the while, God is wanting you to focus on the goodness and the faithfulness that you've experienced in the past. So when you go through a storm, let me ask you something. The storm you're going through right now, what has God done for you in the past? What storms has He pulled you out of in the past? What has He provided for you in the past? How has He healed you in the past? When have you experienced the goodness of God in the past? So in your present storm, begin to focus on what God has done for you in your present storm. And you'll know that God will remain faithful. The storm you're going through is the pathway. That's number 11. The storm you're going through is the pathway that Jesus uses to get to you. I love this about Jesus. Jesus could have gone, you know, this is the man, Jesus, who walked through the wall to tell Thomas, I'm alive. He went right through a wall. This same Jesus could have just shown up on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he could have uttered encouragement. Keep rowing. Keep going. You can do it. But he didn't. He used that same storm and that same pathway to walk directly to his disciples. And I love this because the Bible says that there he was walking on the water. He was walking on the very thing that the disciples were so fixated on fear about. Are you hearing me? They were so focused. They thought they were going to drown. And here's Jesus walking on top of that very thing that was beating them from the left and the right. Why? Because the Bible says that everything is, are, all things are under his feet. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what he's showing them is the very circumstance that you're going through, even that is already under his feet. And you don't have to fear, you don't have to worry, you don't have to stress out. All you need to believe is that he's going to get you through that storm. Yeah. Yeah. Are you hearing me, church? Yeah. Hallelujah! Is this helping anybody? Yes. Lord. Or did it? Is it just helping me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. One last thing: you have to tell your future about your past. So Jesus was grieved. The Bible says that when he got in the boat, because they didn't even consider the miracle. Of the look they had. As soon as that miracle happened, the storm happened, and immediately they forgot about the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Aren't we just like that? Something happens and all of a sudden we freak out. He's provided for you constantly, but the minute we get an unexpected bill, we freak out. Why are you freaking out? If He's provided for you in the past, He'll continue to provide for you. Are you hearing me, church? You don't have to freak out. There's no reason to. It. And let me tell you, if you have time to freak out, you got time to pray. All right? I read something near to that. I put my own little spin on it. It said, if you got time to stress, then you got time to pray. And that's true. That's a small little phrase, but if you think about it, if you got time to stress, then you got time to pray. Because that same amount of time you spend stressing out, you could be praying. You could be decreeing You could be speaking out. Jesus wasn't angry at his disciples, but he was grieved that they didn't even consider what he had just done for them. Instead, the enemy was able to get them fixated on the storm in their present. And the enemy will lie to you and say, all this is happening to you because of something you did. God's left you, God's against you, and all the while, God wants to test your memory in your storm by checking your memory on his faithfulness in the last storm. Church, can you remember the storms that God has brought you through? Your power is not in where you are, but it's in where you've been. And you need to thank God for what he is about to do based on where you've been. Where have you been? Can you remember when God was with you and took care of you in a previous storm in your life? If yes, then can you remember that in your next storm? He'll continue to pull you through. He'll continue to be faithful in every season of your life. Let's stand together.